Uninvisible is a support podcast that provides information, ideas, suggestions, and experiences that deal squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice of any kind. We do provide support, concepts, ideas, discussions, and information that you can use to make sure that you are being heard and that your concerns are being addressed. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing, but we will be here for you along your journey. We welcome all comments about our episodes and, of course, the correction of any errors. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our Terms of Service and Privacy Policy, which are available on our website located at www.uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Most of all, we welcome your stories and experiences to share with our community because without you, this community and the benefit it offers all of us would not exist. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Of course, in the event that you are having a medical emergency of any kind, consult your physician or emergency services. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman, and I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm here with Tanya Butts, who is the founder of Sweet Apricity, which is a company that I've recently featured on social media, if you guys haven't uh, had a look, but they make sweets like caramels and marshmallows that are AIP paleo, gluten-free, dairy-free, um, compliant for a lot of us in this invisible and chronic illness world. So Tanya, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So I wanted to start by talking about your company and you founded Sweet Apricity because a friend of yours has dietary concerns, right? Yes. My best friend had, um, numerous autoimmune diseases. She had been diagnosed with late stage Lyme disease. And um, so she had been following a strict AIP diet for over four years. Mm -hmm. And she was graduating magna cum laude Mm -hmm. from an honors program. And she did that while experiencing an average of 22 migraines a month. She had, she had accomplished this Herculean achievement. So I wanted to do something to celebrate this monumental mm. event in her life. And, and like I said, she hadn't had a treat because as many of your listeners know that um, autoimmune protocol means no nuts, no eggs, no chocolate, no coffee, no vanilla. So if you're paleo, you can, you can find a cookie recipe or a treat recipe on any corner of the internet. Mm. If the internet has corners. Um, That's true. It's probably very round. <laughs> yes, probably. <laughs> um, so, so she, you know, she just hadn't had a treat in four years, aside from being able to put honey into her tea. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had developed, I had, for the holidays, I had worked on making um, a paleo-friendly caramel turtle, caramel or caramel pecan turtle-like mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And um, so I realized that if I removed the nuts and the chocolate, that she could eat the um, the caramel. So I made them and took them to her graduation part. I took them to her graduation party and she put one in her mouth and she screamed and then she started sobbing. And, um, yeah, it was really, I mean, it was this really unexpected moment because in that moment I realized what life is like without an indulgence, like Mm. how that was really, it was just, it was just this lovely 
shocking reaction that she had. Yeah. So your friend um, had this treat and had this amazing reaction. And did, did you suddenly get the idea that like this was your future? Oh, no, 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 no. I forgot that part of the story. She is infinitely smarter than me. And she, she's like, these are, you should sell these. And I'm like, okay. Um, and so I did. And yeah, that's, now we're that's here. how Sweet Apricity was born. Yep. And Three tell and us about, later. yeah. So tell us about the name too, because I love the origin of the name. Aww. So I'm a word geek. I just, I like words. I like the way they feel in the mouth. I like the concept that they can kind of encapsulate. And you're so speaking to a former actor. So like, I feel oh, nice. Nice. all about that language. Yeah. I came across the word. It was kind of making a resurgence on the internet where they were, they were like um, presenting old words that had been retired or died out. And I came across apricity and the meaning. So the meaning of apricity, um, it's a, word from the 1600s and it means the warmth of the sun in winter and and it's like I got punched in the gut like it just it took the word and the meaning it took my breath away and it was exactly what my friend had experienced when yeah. being able to you know have a treat for the first time in four years yeah. so um so it's an impossible name and I apologize to everybody who can't remember it or pronounce it or <laughs> your I apologize to everyone who tries to spell it and spell check doesn't recognize <laughs> me. Um, all that said, though, it's a really meaningful name, and yeah. um, obviously, there's so much heart behind this project for you, behind your business, because you really created it for your best friend. Yes. Yeah, and which is gorgeous. Thank you. Yeah, and I, I say, um, I mean, as it grows, I have to come back to what was my intention around um, doing it, and, and I do what I do because I want to be of service to a feeling that is elusive to people following a restrictive diet. And that's, oh, that's, that's my primary objective is to be of service to that feeling. So yeah. I oh, I really that. like that. I really appreciate that because I'm eating those caramels and those marshmallows. <laughs> Let me tell you. Okay, <laughs> good. So um, how, how did your best friend's illness affect your relationship? Um, was it sort of, a, did you find it to be a roadblock when you would be going out and being social with her or is she um, always sort of normalizing it when you were around each other? Um, honestly, it was such a non-issue. I had been raw vegan for two years and then um, gone from raw vegan to paleo mm. um, when I moved That's back to leap. the area. It, well, I'm a cattleman's daughter to begin with. So giving up meat was more difficult than reintroducing it. Interesting. Um, and I was living off the grid in the mountains of New Mexico and we were growing our own mm -hmm. food. It was just, it was easier. And it was, it was interesting to experience what that life was like. Like mm -hmm. it was really hard. And I think one of the things, <laughs> one, of, one of the casualties of being raw vegan is that I don't like avocados anymore. Um, oh, Cause wow. they were, I mean, I just, I can't, I, if I never have eat them eat. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> And I love them. So I'm really sad about that. But mm. um, no, it really was a non-issue because by the time I was paleo, um, there weren't a lot of places to go and eat. And, mm. But there was one paleo cart here in Portland and um, they eventually opened up a brick and mortar. So those were the only places we would go. And they also serviced the AIP community as well. So mm. we could go out and have that, that experience of dining out. But for the most part, we just cooked for ourselves. Yeah. Or, you know, we'd have dinner parties and spend time together while cooking for ourselves, which I've kind of done for years just because it's, you know, it's safer and it's usually cheaper and you can eat really well for, yeah. and not worry about whatever you worry about. Sick. 
Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, the nice thing about cooking together at home is that you get to like pour the the glasses of wine and just sort of like really enjoy each other's company and also celebrate a meal that you've made, which is really nice. So, um, it never felt like a sacrifice is what we're getting to. No, not at all. Making these adjustments for your friend. I feel like, I think the one thing that I did notice that would happen is that I felt really protective of her um, because people would look at her and be like, you just accomplished this thing in an honors program. Mm -hmm. You finished your thesis. um, And again, you don't look sick. And I would be like, I watched the process of her trying to finish these tasks and they weren't easy. And so, um, I would feel really protective of people who would want to call her out on not being sick Hmm. and be like, yeah, I'm behind the scenes. I know what that looks like. Like I I would watch her and she's been my best friend for almost 20 years. Hmm. And so I also had all this information going back, um, where I could see how it was affecting her cognitively, especially Hmm. was the biggest thing is that, um, she, she just couldn't get through everything. Yeah. Yep. She With couldn't me. recall words. And she's one of the smartest people I know, like on paper and off. And, um, and so to watch her struggle because I'd watched her process for so many years to see this change in it. Um, it was really easy to not be like, oh, this is an inconvenience. It was, this is something is going on with my friend. And obviously um, your support did turn into a larger scale of advocacy. Aside from, you know, defending her to, to naysayers, you, yeah. you also started this company really because of her and, and with her encouragement, which is really beautiful. Yes. So one of the things that came up when you and I first chatted, which was a few weeks ago, um, was that you have now gone from you know, being well and having friends who are ill to also being in this invisible chronic illness world. And I'd love for you to share with us a little bit about what's been going on with you um, and how your experience knowing your friend and, and caring for her has informed your recent realizations. That's a great question. I don't know if I know how to answer it. Well, I know one um, of the things you did talk about was about the inner conflict of admission when it comes to this this oh. particular illness, because not only to yourself, but to other people as, as a female founder of a health-driven company, right? Um, and how that might affect people's perception of you. But I was like, you're so brave. <laughs> um, oh, and you get to which, eat your own products, which is great. <laughs> you could say, I can eat them. But, it's true. Um, yeah. But yeah, tell us what you've got going on and, and how you found out. Well, and a big part of that is that, um, so I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome when I was 18 and they wanted to put me on the pill and, um, which is fine. They did. Mm. Um, but, for better or for worse. Yeah. And I didn't stay on it long just cause they didn't like the way it made my body feel. And so I think I might've been on it for about a year and then I stopped. Mm. Um, and I kind of forgot about it. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, and then I had gallbladder disease. Wow. Where they ended up, I had 48 hours from the first attack to when they were actually, I was on the operating table. So there wasn't, and I think back to that and I still get really frustrated because there wasn't any conversation about um, just stop eating these things. Like that Mm. was, I don't want to say how many years ago that was, but that was, (laughs) that was about 20 years ago. And I was the healthiest I'd ever been in my life. I was training to be a kickboxer instructor. I was Mm. kickboxing five times a week. I was going to school. I was working 80 hours a week. Like it was an, it was really busy, but I was really active. And, um, so that this happened was really shocking. And then afterwards, there was no, there was no follow-up care. They were just like, just don't eat fat foods. Mm. So, um, 
but that was the point in time that even with the, the PCOS stuff, like I think it was well managed with exercise and activity. There was no communication about like, this is the best way to eat. And, and if there was, it was like eat more grains and less fat. Yeah. Um, but that's when I noticed, and that's where I was going with that. I remember noticing after the gallbladder surgery, that's when I started gaining weight, like mm-hmm. an average of like five pounds a year. So it wasn't a lot at first, but also it took me down for 18 months. So like you can't kickbox, you can't do any fighting sports mm-hmm. for 18 months because it had been pretty invasive surgery. And, um, but I did notice that that's when, you know, weight gain began mm-hmm. around five pounds per year. And then I ended up unknowingly moving into a place when I returned to the Pacific Northwest, I ended up moving into a place that had mold. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I ended up living in a place with mold for five years before. Which we is a of, huge amount of time. To yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and when we realized it, I was still stuck in this place for, I mean, mold is such a hard thing. It's, it's, first of all, it runs rampant in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things I know that people who are talking about mold, they're like, get out as soon as possible, but that's not necessarily realistic. Like I couldn't afford to pay to break my lease. Yeah. Um, it wasn't my space, so I couldn't remediate it properly. Mm. Um, they didn't care because they couldn't see it, but above and below there had been all this water damage that I learned later hadn't been properly remediated. Mm. Um, and the, the last year I was there, I started developing migraines, you know, four times a week, which I'd never had migraines before. Um, so anyway, suddenly you were sort of living like your friend had lived. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that was, um, so, you know, and I'd been prepared after watching her do it and I had gone from paleo. I'd done AIP for 14 months, incredibly strict, Mm. um, because I wanted to see what life was like for her. Like I wanted to see where, yeah, because paleo and paleo felt so indulgent after AIP for a year and a half. Yeah. Um, I mean, suddenly paleo, doing dairy again for sure. <laughs> right. Oh my, when yeah. I was the day I was able to reintroduce butter, like, yeah, like I'm never eating coconut again. Yeah. <laughs> coconut oil anyway. Yeah. In, Except um, luckily there is, there is coconut, uh, like coconut palm sugar in your products. So yes. And there's coconut oil. In yeah. There, so. so that's where it's we just, sort of get around and coconut cream and things like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I think it was a matter of like, um, I don't have to cook my meats in coconut oil anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really lovely. Yeah. So yeah. So that's yeah. the so mold. That's- the mold. I, I ended up gaining a lot of weight with the mold. And at first we couldn't figure out why. Mm. And I finally found a functional doctor who was able to dial that in. Yeah. And then, but we couldn't even start treating it until I got out of the place I was in. Sure. So um, yeah. So for the last six months. Now I have this new place that is, I'm the first one to ever live in it. So I'm hoping oh, I can get like three clean years of no mold, but again, yeah. it's the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. <laughs> it is rainy and, and, and wet and cold over there a lot. Yep. So, yeah. so it's known to happen. So I, I know that you had mentioned um, that you found a functional medicine doctor who yes. you're working with. <laughs> what steps are you taking specifically to control your health? Cause I know that you were traveling to see some of the doctors that you're working with. Um, and how how is that how does that look? What treatments are you using? I go I travel to Seattle about every two and a half, three weeks to mm-hmm. visit my functional doctor up there. And they use a technique called autonomic response uh-huh. treatment or therapy. ART. So um the clinic that I'm seeing is actually it's two of the doctors that were the first 
team to be trained by Dr. Klinghart. Mm-hmm. So, um, and for those people in the Lyme community, you'll be familiar with that name. Yeah. Yes. And mm-hmm. um, so what they've been doing has been amazing. And so what they'll, they'll do is we'll end up testing my body. They'll test all the systems in my body and what comes up first is what we end up treating first. So mm-hmm. if it's, you know, if it's hormones or if it's mold or if it's bugs or if it's heavy metals is a big one for me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, that too is kind of this, now I live in this brand new, beautiful place that has no mold, but we're looking at like eight years of burn off of formaldehyde. And you yeah. know, so, so really, unless I'm living in a tent, Mm. you're going to have exposure to chemicals in different ways. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so she's just helping me put together a plan as to how to best, um, kind of attack it. Yeah. Mediate all of that. And then, and the other thing that's really useful with ART is that it'll, it'll show which systems are the most taxed that need the most attention first. And it doesn't mean that the mold isn't still there, but right now it's heavy toxins that are up. Um, so right now we're treating the heavy toxins and then in, you know, three to six weeks that can shift. And then, um, you know, toxins are still there, but mold is the one that's, that's coming to be kind of, um, mold is the one that'll be up. Yeah. The main one that you're really taking care of. Yeah. And I I mean, interestingly, I noticed when we started the, this interview, you've got a little infrared sauna behind you. Um, so you have that and you have an ice bath at home. So you're, you're using a lot of these detox practices that we do hear about a lot. And we hear about in relation to Lyme as well as to mold toxicity concerns. So, um, it's really interesting because there is that overlap with, I'm sure what your friend was experiencing, at least in your symptoms, right. Um, that you've described with the migraines. Um, so it's almost like you've sort of joined her in that journey. Very much so. Yeah. So did you ever discover at any point along this journey to getting your diagnosis of mold toxicity and um, going for treatment, especially going all the way to Seattle, that you needed a personal advocate at any point, like someone to come to your appointments with you or to sort of, you know, defend you to other people who would not understand what was going on? Um, No, I think I'm better at hiding it, to be honest. Mm. Like. I don't have a lot of people in the company anymore. So mm-hmm. it's just me and my chief op- chief operations officer, who is another best friend of mine for 19 mm-hmm. years. So he also knows how to, how to manage me. And especially, mm-hmm. and I also warn them when I'm just like, listen, I'm, I'm not thinking well today. I'm going to, you're going to tell me this. I'm going to forget. So I guess in that sense, I'm surrounded by people who love me and love the product and, um, and really want to see the company succeed. So because they know me so well, they know how to help put systems in place to keep me going. And there are days where there, there are weeks where the, I can't get out of bed for three days. Um, yeah. I mean, a big, a big thing that I always forget about. It's the brain when, fog. Yeah. When traveling is the oils. Like I think, okay, if I find, if I find a nice steakhouse and just get a giant steak or just get a steak and some broccoli, I'm going to be fine. Mm. And then I'm like, well, I forget that they're probably using that butter whipped butter. Yeah. And I'm like, the more I pay, if I'm, if I'm willing to pay a hundred dollars just to sit down and have a meal, Mm. it should be safe. And that's never the case. And so I end up, you know, somehow inflaming myself and, and I don't spend a hundred dollars on meals. (laughs) But when I'm traveling and I'm like, okay, 
I can either use it as a fast day, which has been tremendously helpful as far as, um, Uh as far as metabolism increase and digestion and, um, yeah. And hormone. Yeah. And hormones. Okay. So you've been doing intermittent fasting. Yes. Ah, really interesting. Okay. Cause I, I hear about it from time to time and, and people have come to me and said that their doctors have suggested it, but I've never had anyone suggest it to me. So I'm like, I don't know enough about it to, to speak to it, but it's interesting because a lot of people are starting to get into that. And I, I'm finding people who are having like hormonal and, um, really environmental issues, just like you are, are the kind of people who are having the most success with that kind of, that kind of lifestyle and diet change. Yep. I am, I'm loving it, but, um, Mm -hmm. I've also practiced fasting for decades. Um, so it was pretty easy for you to transition. Easy. I mean, it's never easy. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, that's not entirely true. It's not, um, it's the mindset is, um, is something Cause yeah. you know, cause you're giving up food. So it's, it's, an, especially as an emotional eater. So there we go. It's all out of the bed. I'm totally an emotional eater. So am I, I'm with you. I think a lot of us are. And like when you go through something with chronic illness as well, or if you have a loved one who does, I, I think that you become an even more of an emotional eater, you know, because yeah. you, even if you know that certain things are going to affect you, you kind of go like, well, here's where I'm making my my exceptions or, you know, here's where I really need to have the, my thing that I need, you know? Um, so we, we cling to those structures more as well because they're the things that make us feel well. So especially when you look at like pleasure principles, Mm. um, you know, our sex drive or Mm -hmm. our, our desire for food or safety or all of those things, um, having an autoimmune disease makes the world feel really unsafe. Mm -hmm. And, um, dining with friends is something you no longer really get to do without being this inconvenience. And then the sex part, if you're, if you're in pain all the time, like that doesn't always feel like a comfort and can sometimes feel like an obligation. Mm. So really the only thing you get to kind of feed that pleasure zone is food eating and you have to do it alone most of the time. So, um, which has emotional consequences as well. It's kind of this, this, this pointed sense of being alone in this process again, mm. which it was kind of the whole point of having this product. I mean, not, not to tie my product to the joys of sex, but, <laughs> but maybe a little. Well, there, have, there is some science behind, you know, sugar and sex, you know, right. There we go. Yeah. Increase of dopamine or serotonin. Yeah, levels yeah. No, absolutely. So yeah, it's, um, and to be able to to find something. Cause especially when we're alone or just around food in general, like we're always thinking, okay, how do we meal prep? How do we eat so that, um, how do we, <laughs> how do we cook enough food so that we have safe food to eat throughout the week? And we don't get so hungry that we grab something that is, um, that's a bad choice and going to have lasting consequence. Well, you go from not having to think about it to having to think about it all the time, all the time. Right? So it's, it's almost like, you know, it creates its own disordered, you know, sort of way of thinking in the sense that you have to be always planning ahead and always thinking about food, um, which people who don't necessarily have these conditions, they don't have to think that way. They can just sort of eat when they're hungry. And it's not that simple for those of us in the autoimmune world or the invisible and chronic illness world. Um, and that's where, you know, having a product like yours, I have to say again, I mean, I, I love them. I love the caramels and the marshmallows and everything. And it's, it's such freedom. When I discovered Sweet Apricity, I was like, what? There's a company that like is for me, you know, <laughs> like it felt like a gift. 
And I think that was the whole thing. Like it was really a, a, the whole idea came from a gift to your friend. And that's, that's really what a lot of this is, but yeah. you know, that now it's also the gift that you can have yourself. And, um, you know, it's amazing sort of how it's all come full circle with you joining this world. You just wanted to be in the club really, didn't you? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I wanted to be able to not eat everything. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. That's what we cool all kids. This episode is sponsored by Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist, creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to Uninvisible, this August, they are offering you $50 off. Go to emberlabs.com, that's E-M-B-R-Labs.com, enter code INVISIBLE50 at checkout, and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. Guys, yeah, cool kids, cool kids club. So can you tell us and walk us through what a typical day is like for you? I mean, I'm sure there's no such thing as a typical day, but in terms of the challenges that you face with your health and how you're managing symptoms and, you know, how it's affecting things like cognitive and physical functions. Yes. Um, biggest thing is cognitive function right now. Yes. And that is a combination of the mold and the heavy metals. Well, and, and the, um, also the hormones. So I guess it's still this trifecta of functioning mm. that isn't optimal for me right now. Mm. Um, I did just find this book called radical metabolism. I can't remember the name of the author. I'm, but, I'll find it and we'll post a link. Yeah. She's lo- what's lovely is that it's the first um, because especially with the hormones, so many people are just like, just do just keto, just do keto. It's amazing. And so I did keto for 90 days and I did it 12, you know, my macros of carbs was at 12 mm. and, um, and I had really great results. I think I lost 30 pounds, but wow. my, my, my cycle regulated out. So I ended up, so for the last three years, I have had a cycle every 28 days. They were mm. really painful but they're, but they're, they're normal cycles, they're regular yeah. menstrual cycles. Yeah. Which is amazing. Cause I haven't had that in 20 years. So, wow. um, but then at some point my body d- just stopped doing well with keto at all. But again, then that's a gallbladder issue. So, mm. um, and nobody's really addressing it except in this book, this woman who wrote radical metabolism, um, she's talking specifically about the importance of bile liver function, gallbladder function. And she's like, if you don't have this, a lot of the keto books or, you know, um, blogs or books talk about take HCL and ox bile, which again, it was a thing that the doctor who took my gallbladder never said anything about, Mm. never said you are going to have to replace. Which is like, this is an essential organ. (laughs) You know, if you have this removed, you're going to need to take some kind of supplement that, that replaces its function. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's amazing to me because you're not the first person I've spoken to who's had an essential organ removed and had a doctor not tell them that they needed to long-term replace the functions of this organ. Yeah. 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 So So, I, so that I just stumbled upon this book like a month ago mm, as a bit of a game game changer too. That's Um, great. Yeah. So. yeah. so, so day to day, are you, um, really cognizant of the foods you're eating? How are you eating now? And, um, you know, do you get to allow yourself to indulge? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a bittersweet question, I guess. Yeah. Um, I am still able to tolerate nuts. 
Okay. Which is great. I'm able to tolerate butter Mm -hmm. um, and coffee. So I, there was a time where I was living on like bulletproof buttered coffee um, just because there was no chewing time, but like fixing a big salad, like the time that I have to commit to chewing yeah, more than I can, than I can do in a day. So I'll do a lot of smoothies or smoothies Mm -hmm. being basically I'll take a salad and blend it and then add so that the the super nutrient dense thing Mm -hmm. that I plug my nose and drink with a straw. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it's not, because I'm aiming not for flavor, but just, just for getting nutrients. Nutrients. Yeah, absolutely. Which is, I mean, I I, I want everyone to really pay attention to this because this is like, you're having trouble masticating, right. For, for a lot in one day, like for long periods of time or, you know, with, with large meals, it's harder for you because you have physical fatigue, obviously. Um, but you know, that like the the lifestyle you're living now is like, you have to plug your nose and drink your salad smoothie. Um, it's like, this is what life is like with chronic illness, you know? And I, I think, um, it's, it's rarely acknowledged what these, seemingly simple hacks feel like and, and the sacrifices that we make for our health, um, you know, that you're just trying to like get nutrients in you, um, you know, sort of come hell or high water. And the way you're doing it is just to like get that smoothie down because you can't sit and chew your salad. Um, and, and how that struggle is, it's real and it's, um, it's something that really gets in the way of everyday functioning, you know, that like you have to think about, well, I'm not going to be able to chew this whole meal or, you know, I'm not going to be able to think that far in advance, you know, that like our functions are impaired in that kind of way. Um, and it's great that you're making these adjustments and that you have a support system who obviously, you know, is, is understanding of what you're doing. Um, but it is things like travel that like really screw that kind of, that kind of rhythm up. Um, yeah. So it's a really interesting sort of hearing what you have to go through, but also like, I want everyone to really understand that like, this is the world of chronic illness. This is, these are the sacrifices that we make, you know, you run a a health focused food company, um, and you yourself still struggle with that. And that's, that's totally okay. And it's totally real. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Although yeah. just to be clear too, that, that when I talk about not having, it's more about a time factor of like, um, I can't commit to chewing for the next hour because there's all this other stuff that needs to be done. Mm. Yeah. And that's part of being a female founder and, and you're a, a CEO of a, a business. Well, yeah. and just, and a disorganized, not a disorganized one, but I'm one with cognitive issues. So mm. I will have you know, I'll work really hard to have my to-do list and then I can't find them the next day. So I have to reconstruct it and I can't remember what I needed to do or why it was important. So, mm. um, so my day is a lot of part of my, a, a large part of my day is managing myself yeah. in a way that, that keeps us moving forward. Yeah. Um, so do you yeah. find that your, your staff who are also your friends, you find that they're also finding ways to manage you too? Or is it yeah. so stealth that you haven't noticed yet? <laughs> um, it, it's a little bit of both. There are things that I pull back and don't show them because I know that I, I know where those lines are for them, where they'll start to get nervous about mm-hmm. like, you know, um, not my abilities, but kind of where we're at mm-hmm. of like, will we be able to grow this company to where we need it to go? Mm-hmm. Um, 
if she's experiencing this. Yeah. So I'm, I'm aware of where that line is. So I pull back and don't let them see when I'm like, when I have my moments where I'm in bed and I'm like, I can't go on. Like, mm-hmm. I just, I don't know if I can keep this going. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, we all hope that, that, you know, you will be able to, because you're certainly doing a huge service for those of us <laughs> in the chronic illness world with you, you know? Um, so, I mean, you're, you're talking about how you're, you're sort of pulling back on things. Do you find that like, that you're struggling to find the work-life balance and that it's even more challenging with a chronic illness? Um, there's lots of parts to that that I don't know um, quite how to answer. I'm a farmer's daughter from North Dakota. So work-life balance isn't something that I grew up, that wasn't a thing. Like yeah. you, just, you just do the job. Um, what I find is that I'm slower at getting things done. Mm. And that's because there's I get more distracted or... Um, you know, today, like my brain is really hot. I got a migraine last night, Mm. but I was traveling two days ago and I can't remember what I had. I think I had like, I had access to like a chicken breast, but I have no idea. I just asked for a plain chicken breast. Right. And so, Mm. um, and I'm sure it was, you know, caged and from Peru. And, um, I mean, I knew in the moment that it wasn't the best, that it it was the best Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so I was hoping, yeah, I was hoping I, it would be without consequence. And what I find is that when I get inflamed, um, it's usually about a 24 hour period before I mm. feel a consequence, 20 to 24 hours. So I'm fine mm. up until 20 hours later. And then, so that also you know brings its own challenges of trying to remember what happened 20 hours ago that is making my mm. brain really hot or is, um, I also get, are they called ghost migraines where it affects my vision? So like the periphery mm. and, and that's always interesting. Cause I forget, um, I forget that that's part of a migraine and it, cause my head doesn't hurt yet, but I can't see anymore. And then the headache comes on a few hours later. So that happened yeah. last night. Um, so I'm a little fine. And you're so. doing things like scheduling things like this interview and scheduling, you know, travel either for your doctors or for, you know, conferences or events that you're going to with the company, you know? So it's like a constant back and forth in that sense, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Um, and you mentioned earlier and, and I, I, I like to ask this question because I think it really gives us a, more of a sense of the invisibility of these conditions. But have, have you ever been in situations where you've been confronted and forced to justify to people that you had something going on that they couldn't see? No, not that I can think okay. of, not that I can think of, but I'm really good at distraction. <laughs> and I'm really good at, at hiding this, right? So, but so you're also making a conscious effort to hide it so that it doesn't become an yeah. issue. And you yeah. know, and there's there's also this other prong too. And I think everybody who has a chronic illness will understand this. And that's the questioning or doubt that it exists. Like maybe mm-hmm. I'm making this up. Like maybe if I show up in this moment and I can look somebody in the eye and I can talk to them in a way that doesn't make me look sick. Maybe I'm not really sick. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, um, I mean, so I, I struggle with that of like, maybe I am okay. And I just, maybe I'm fine and I'm just being lazy or maybe I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm just scared to engage with my company in this way or engage with people this way or, um, you know, and that's the, not the kindest internal dialogue to have. No. And do you think that that's something that maybe women or female identifying people in this um, chronic illness world might be feeling that burden a little 
more acutely than someone who identifies as male? Or, you know, do you think that's something that like you've put upon yourself as a woman in this world? Um, I think that's a fair question. I can answer from my perspective and from like information that, you know, data I've collected just from observing probably. Mm. Yes. Um, but you know, I mean, it's, it's part of, it's part of our gift is being able to hold things together or kind of step back and put other, you know, the needs of, of things or people before us. So I think, um, so yes, I don't, I don't think that's an inaccurate statement. I don't know what it's like for a man to have a chronic disease. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is we can only speak to our own experience. Um, but I mean, there, there are studies being done and there are observations being made in large scale, uh, situations and circumstances that are indicating that like, you know, women already feel that burden to take care of other people, um, and to get on with things, um, or to play fact, down I, I, our own. Yeah. Know, yeah. Well, I, I was watching actually, um, I don't know if you've watched the show Fleabag. Um, it's great. It's fantastic. And, um, I was watching an episode in the second season last night and this doesn't give anything away, but one of the characters said, women are born in pain. You know, we're born with period pain and, you know, um, being taught to sublimate all of that. And, and that comes up a lot, um, you know, on this show too, that like, if that's already the default mechanism, then when there's something going on, we're trying to just plow through it. Um, because that's what we've been taught to believe is what we're supposed to do. Yeah, right. right? Um, so I think that's a huge factor there. And then of course, you know, the factor of, of confidence in ourselves and, and, um, and having to relearn perspective really when you get sick, but when you're already making what you're going through less important than what everyone else needs to do. Um, you know, especially for someone who's running a company, I think that's, I think it's, it's, it's important to understand. Um, so how important is it, do you think that we continue to talk about these invisible and chronic illnesses? And I mean, cause obviously you're, you're sort of doing that because of your company, um, opening up those conversations, but, um, you know, how do we find our way through normalizing the conversation? What do you think about that? So here's where my brain goes when you ask that question. I was like, does it need to be normalized? Like, first of all, that's the first data point. Does it need to be normalized? Well, in order to have people with chronic illness be able to walk through this world without feeling unheard, unseen, suppressed, dismissed, um, yes, we need to bring it to light. Best way to do that is to talk about it. And I think the other thing that's really important is building community around it, right? Like building support. Absolutely. And um, I mean, when you asked that question, the first thing I thought about was Wendy. Um, and that's your friend who you started Sorry, with. my best friend, Wendy. Um, <laughs> I just named her. <laughs> but how often she's been dismissed by doctors who just think that it's in her head. And she's like... Oy which everybody who has a chronic illness has that story of like just being dismissed or being like, take this antibiotic or, um, yeah, here's a here's pill. This will make you restrict your calories possible. or right. So mm-hmm. it's not this comprehensive thing of you get more exercise. It's not this comprehensive look at, um, at 
disease or disease disease mm-hmm. um <laughs> well it's an interesting word disease yeah. in and of itself yeah mm. so obviously you're trying to make these lifestyle changes um to manage your own symptoms and do you find that do you ever cheat i mean we know that you're you have to make exceptions here and there when you can't sort of control every factor that goes into like what you're eating or how you're sleeping when you're on the road and things like that. But, um, do you have like conscious cheats or guilty pleasures, um, that, that you ever experience or like, do you have like a top three, um, (laughs) comfort activities when you have a flare up even like, is it like hopping in the sauna or taking a nap or, you know, like your top three, Secret indulgences, cheats, um, guilty pleasures, or and or comfort activities. You know, what would your top three be sort of in that realm? Oh, goodness. Um, I have a thing for a sour cream. It's called Wallabies Sour Cream. And I find myself getting really sneaky with my internal dialogue about eating it because it's cultured sour cream. So it's filled with all of these, you know, gut probiotics right. all yeah. of this like gut health food stuff um it's 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 unlike any sour cream i've ever had however dairy and dairy doesn't inflame this is the other w- reason i can get a little sneaky with dairy <coughs> dairy does not inflame my joints um mm. it messes with my brain chemistry in a really really severe way um, where mm. I will spend three days semi-suicidal and the anxiety. And so, so I wake up almost suicidal and, and I, I've luckily I've recognized that that's the pattern with dairy and I can trace it back to that. And then I reach out for the help I need because it's, it's, um, it's overwhelming. It's not something you can manage on your own. Yeah. yeah. And then that kind of subsides to just general ennui and then intense anxiety, but like, it'll all wake up in the middle of the night with panic attacks, or, um, I'll realize that instead of having dreams, I'm having internal dialogue conversations about the futility of everything. Um, <laughs> and that becomes really overwhelming and really, really kind of oppressive. So dairy is one I have to be really careful of, even though like there's a, there's a company that does fully pasteurized ice cream, um, which actually ice cream has never been my thing, but in the summertime, the idea of it seems kind of cool. And again, I just have to back out and be like, you can't do dairy without severe. It's not worth what it'll spiral into. Yeah. There's a company that does a gluten-free bread, which is really fun. Like if you want to have a sandwich, but again, that it has, you know, it has rice. It has all of those things that again, there is, um, pretty dire consequence for me because with the gluten or the grains. Um, although I can't do tapioca, but I can do, I can do an organic, um, an organic non-GMO corn chip. So I can, I can, I've been able to reintroduce corn without great disaster, but tapioca. Um, so I can't do the tapioca chips, which I don't want to name their company because they're so amazing. I'm so in love with them as a Mm. company and their product is amazing. Um, But what happens to me is that I get inflamed at my spine and all of my joints Mm. get inflamed. And I don't know if you can tell, but I have, we call them the death spiral. I have spiral staircase. Um, So getting up and down that when I'm super inflamed is brutal. If it happens. um, That's one thing I'm really glad I don't have stairs in my place. Actually. (laughs) 
now. I can just sort of roll into bed when I That's, need to. I'm so jealous. Like I thought this would be cool until I'm like, yeah. because you can't even like scoot your butt up them. Like you have to commit to crawling. Yeah. You have to commit to really doing yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the space is so cool. I like I said, I didn't think about that. So it looks really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say that some sort of bread substitute is what mm. is it, that is one of the cravings I have to fight against. And mm. when I do give into it, there are consequences. So, mm. and like I said, the other thing too, and this is just why it's sneaky with my internal dialogue and I have to be careful of is that, um, because it takes about 24 hours for my reaction. Now that's not entirely true. I get really hot. Like I can start mm. feeling heat or energy like move through my sinuses and my cheeks and my ears get red in the back of my neck. But it's not until about 20 to 24 hours later that the pain arrives um, in a way that's pretty immobilizing. So yeah. yeah, so of course breads, but I grew up, you know, I'm a, like I said, I'm a cattleman's daughter and cheeseburgers and french fries they made my world go round for and ribeyes, mm. um, but I haven't had to give up ribeyes, which is awesome. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I would say sour cream in the form of dairy and yeah. some sort of bread substitute. So, yeah, and probably also your sweets. They're a nice indulgence that you can have without the consequences. It's true. Right? There was a time when, um, especially when I had my own little kitchen and I had an entire kitchen crew who was so amazing and so lovely. Um, mm. but there is, there were probably a few weeks where the only thing any of us ever else ate, sorry, the only thing that any of us ever ate were, um, roasted marshmallows with, <laughs> with simple mills, chocolate chip cookies. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. amazing. Now I'm like, Oh, I know what I'm yeah, doing. If later. you can do tapioca <laughs> and almond, yeah, simple mills. And if you get the chocolate chip ones, you don't even need chocolate on top. Although if you want chocolate in there, I highly recommend Hugh, Hugh Kitchen's chocolate, which is amazing. Yeah. And um, their chocolate is my go-to. so wonderful. <laughs> they do such a great job with it. Um, they really do. But we also would recommend that the perfect ratio is one hard, crunchy chocolate chip cookie to one piece of Hugh Kitchen chocolate to one or two marshmallows. But once you put the top cookie on, it's too much cookie. So ah, got so it. we end up using the chocolate square as the top squisher slider off the oh, yeah. bamboo stick. Yeah. Yeah. Hours oh, of practice. So that, yeah. and then, um, <laughs> we also, so the women who worked with me in the kitchen, they also fell in love with, we would blend caramels into buttered coffee and that was really fun oh wow yeah and you can do that too so you can like take your caramel sauce and do that can't you well we did it with the hard caramels too which was fun so you can do whatever Mm -hmm. you want and you know what I love about those hard caramels too is that they they don't stick to your teeth like in it like because you sort of unwrap them and they they seem like they're sticky and like oh no if I have a filling this might not be good but like they don't get stuck in the crevices at all they melt away in your mouth Yay, oh, coconut so oil. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now, um, can you also tell us, we sort of started getting into this because you were talking about having community and stuff, but what would your top three tips be for someone who it looks like they are possibly entering this world of invisible illness? What would you recommend to Do them? all the research. Join all the groups. Mm. Listen to people's stories because you're not alone in any of mm. them. And it's okay to question your doctor. Yep. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've had to break up with one or two along the way. (laughs) You sort of find your way 
through that, don't yeah. you? Yeah. But you have to give yourself permission. And by the same token too, is that I understand that like functional doctors are expensive and they're, because they're out of pocket. So there's also yeah. this whole aspect of having access to, mm-hmm. um, to services that some people may not be able to afford. Yeah. And again, you can find incredible community. And if you can work on regulating your own food, you can start kind of maneuvering your own health, which is so empowering. Um, mm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, Tanya, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us about your journey to Sweet Apricity and beyond and, um, you know, as you're continuing to navigate this world? Right now, we are trying to get into stores. Like, we're finally working on these pieces that we haven't been able to do, like like just letting people know we're here and working yeah. to get in stores close to you. Um, yeah. Yeah. But until then, people can find you online, right? Where can they find you? They can you? find us at www.sweetapricity.com. Apricity. And that's A-P. Yeah, yeah, yeah go, go for it. You spell Apric- it. <laughs> Apricity is spelled A-P-R-I-C-I-T-Y. That is correct. Mm-hmm. She's looking like, I'm like oh, I think I got the right, right, that's because I'm not looking at it, but, um, <laughs> that is correct though. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, Tanya, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited for people to hear more about your story and to get to know you better because for me as well, you know, I found these, these sweets and I was like, awesome. But then I got to know who you were and it made the experience that much richer (laughs) for me. So I really thank you so much for, for making these products available and for really fighting to make them available, you know, fighting not only with the people who didn't believe your friend, but also fighting through what you're going through to make these products available to people in need, you know, um, you're really one of our heroes and, and uh, I can't thank you enough for what you do. And, but you really, you're an advocate, you know, like just by starting a company with a basis like this is that makes you an advocate in my mind. So yeah. And I wish you the best of luck as you continue to treat everything that you've got going on and we'll be sending you our well wishes. Um, but thank you so much for joining us and guys go check out sweet apricity. Their products are amazing and you can thank me later. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, thank you for having us and to your entire fan base. Thank you for listening and participating. Thank you. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.